The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. We're now more than a week into Joe Biden's presidency. There are certainly things to criticize. For example, Joe Biden said two thousand dollar checks are going out right away if Democrats win the two Georgia seats. They haven't. Now it's not clear exactly what will be in the covid relief bill. It's not exactly clear when uh, that is going to be happening. So there's no question that there are criticisms here. But if we take a sort of fair and comprehensive uh, approach to the question, how does Joe Biden's first week compare to Donald Trump's four years? I would make the case and I would feel confident making it that Joe Biden has done more good in his first eight or nine days in office, eight days in office, I guess it's been than Donald Trump did in his entire four years. A lot of this has to do with the virus, the coronavirus task force being re 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 uh, invigorated, uh, bringing in actual qualified doctors, increasing vaccination. We're already up to one point two million vaccines a day figuring out where are these discrepancies in terms of vaccines, getting vaccines out to people, number of vaccinating locations going up dramatically, um, starting to be very clear about the possible trajectory trajectory of the virus. That alone is absolutely huge. But then you look at pausing the arms sales to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates reversing a lot of the bad decisions made by Donald Trump, including Joe Biden getting us back into Paris climate, back into the WHO, reversing the trans military ban, working to promote racial equality through executive orders after Donald Trump did whatever he could to get rid of any executive orders that said, hey, we should really look at this or we we should really look at that. Um, Starting to actually put together some potential progress on immigration, which has been so uh, it's not just that the discussion's been fraught, but it's been such a failure under the Trump administration, looking at um, environmental regulations that are put back in when they were once Trump undid via executive order, but also canceling Keystone XL pipeline. I mean, I could go on and on and on with the list, but the amount that he has been able to do in these first eight or so days really is more of a counterbalance to Donald Trump's four years than I could have ever imagined. And my promise to you when Joe Biden, even before Joe Biden won and then when he won and then when he was confirmed by the Electoral College and when he was inaugurated, is that uh, we are going to keep Joe Biden accountable to the promises that he made. Uh, But when Joe Biden does things that are good, I'm going to tell you that he did good things. It doesn't mean he's perfect. It doesn't mean the Democratic Party is now a bastion and beacon of progressivism. It simply means that sometimes presidents do things that are good and uh, they should be applauded for that. And I think what has been most fascinating to see about this is that the country seems to see it. Uh, Joe Biden's first approval rating, 63 percent higher than Donald Trump's approval rating at any time during his presidency. Remember that Donald Trump never even hit 50 percent at any time during his presidency and presidential approval, Joe Biden already at 63 percent, 69 percent approval of Joe Biden's handling of coronavirus in these early days. 
80, 81 percent approval of Joe Biden's federal mask mandate and and national mask sort of request, I think, is the right way to call it. So we are in a very polarized situation. Twenty five, twenty eight, thirty percent of the country is off the deep end in terms of radical, ignorant politics, as I call it. So when you consider that, these really are very, very good numbers for Joe Biden. And uh, we are going to continue tracking uh, his promises and what he does. But the first seven, eight, nine days uh, I am very pleased with. And I'm even yesterday we had a voicemail from a Bernie supporter who said, I voted Bernie, but I, I have to tell you, I'm pleasantly surprised by a lot of what's going on. And, and I do believe that in terms of the most pressing thing, what's happening with vaccinations is excellent. And I hope that we can soon be at two, two and a half million vaccines a day. Uh, on the other side, someone who's not doing so well, Donald Trump's property values uh, have plummeted. It's insane what is going on with Donald Trump's property values. Trump branded Manhattan buildings have lost half of their value since Donald Trump first took office. Properties that used to have the Trump name but don't anymore have lost 17 percent of their value. It is believed it seems that the Trump brand name is a disaster right now. And I am wondering whether at some point in time, if he doesn't already, Donald Trump is going to regret or end up regretting this entire presidential run and presidency. Uh, Urban Diggs looked at the seven luxury buildings in Manhattan that have the Trump name and three that used to be Trump branded buildings, but had the Trump branding removed. And uh, they are all doing disastrously. And what's hilarious about this to me is that we've covered over the years Donald Trump's funny business with property valuations. We know that when Donald Trump wants a loan or a line of credit, against one of his properties, he will inflate the value of the property and claim it is worth much more than it's really worth. On the other hand, when Donald Trump is trying to minimize taxes uh, or to uh, for other reasons benefit from lower property values, he will just argue that his property values are much lower than they probably are in reality. Uh, it seems as though Donald Trump is going to have no problem arguing for lower property values for the upcoming years for tax purposes, because they really are collapsing. And in, in some sense, I mean, the, the Trump we've talked before about how Trump spent his life essentially trying to stay away from the people that make up the vast majority of his supporters. I know that Trump has some wealthy supporters, but a lot of the folks that support Trump are the folks from the parts of the country that Trump has never been a big fan of and people who economically are not the people that Donald Trump is trying to spend time around. And in that sense, his presidency has been terrible marketing for his business. The people who like Trump can't afford to live in his buildings. Many of them can't even afford to go to Donald Trump's hotels, which, by the way, are also looking quite uh, sparse, not exactly bustling from videos that have been released lately. Pandemic understood, certainly a factor. So in a sense, uh, Trump's constituents from a presidential uh, standpoint are not the folks that are Trump's business customers. And that may well prove to be yet another disaster as things go forward. Uh, just to put some numbers to it, back in 2016, the average price per square foot at seven of Trump's properties was around thirty three hundred dollars per square foot. Very, very high. And in 2017, that was down to nineteen hundred dollars a square foot. 
in 2020, it was $16 a square foot. And who knows now where those numbers are going to be, bearing in mind part of the decrease is less about Trump, but about what's going on with the virus potentially. Um, but luxury properties have not been as affected as some other areas of the economy. So I don't know what the answer is in terms of if you got an honest answer from Trump. Do you regret running for president? Has this all been a disaster for you? We know that Ivanka and Jared are not particularly welcome back in New York City. We saw the wanted posters all over Manhattan when it was revealed that they were hoping to go back to New York City after the end of Donald Trump's reign of terror in Washington, D.C. If you got them in a room and, and they were really honest with you, and I don't know if they would be to some degree, it's hard to imagine that they're that thrilled. I, I mean, I think on the one hand, it's, it's sort of a balancing between on the one hand, these are narcissistic uh, um, people and there's a thirst for power where it's so appealing and attractive, the presidency and being at the White House and all of that. On the other hand, the social circles they were part of are widely speaking, shunning them. The people that want them around are the people they tried to stay away from their entire lives and their businesses, uh, while still functioning businesses, may now be number one worth far less and far less profitable than they ever were. And they are going to be dealing with investigations uh, into all sorts of possible financial wrongdoing for the next very many years. I don't know how great uh, the entire presidency and politics experience has been for the Trump family, and I'm not sure if they, they are even coming clean with themselves about it. Never mind whether they would come clean with someone in a room if they knew it wasn't being recorded. What do you think? What do you think is the Trump family's honest perspective on what this presidency has done for them? Let me know. You can find me on Twitter at D Pacman and you can find the show on Twitter at David Pacman Show. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. One of our sponsors today is Lucy, and they are giving my audience 20% off. Lucy is a company founded by Caltech scientists with only one mission, which is to help people quit smoking and vaping by offering a clean, affordable nicotine alternative. Now, many of you know, you've heard the stories. I've known several people in my life who have struggled with quitting smoking. I've seen how difficult it can be. And nicotine alternatives can be hugely helpful. Lucy offers a nicotine gum in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon and pomegranate. They also have lozenges which come in cherry ice flavor. Lucy is affordable. It'll ship right to your door. You don't have to go out to the store. Shipping is always free. You can buy single boxes or save with a subscription. It's time to throw the cigarettes away and get rid of the vape and Lucy can make it easier. You'll find a ton of excellent reviews online from countless people who have used Lucy to quit smoking and vaping. Go check them out at Lucy.co. That's L-U-C-Y dot C-O. The URL is in the podcast notes and you will get 20 percent off when you use the coupon code Pacman. Quick disclaimer, I'm required to give these products contain nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. I want to take a second to tell you about one of our sponsors, SNH Masks. SNH Masks has everything you need when it comes to face masks and other protective gear for COVID-19, and they're giving my audience 20% off. SNH Masks is the company that I've personally been going to for face masks. I love and trust the products they sell, and that's actually why I reached out to them 
about being a sponsor. I've tried tons of different face masks this year, like many of you, and I still have not found a mask that is more comfortable or easier to breathe in than the washable cotton masks that they sell. It's made of a silky lightweight cloth that feels great on the skin, has a convenient adjustable strap. They also have disposable cloth masks, which are really comfortable, as well as all of the other gear like face shields, alcohol wipes, no touch infrared thermometers. And all of their prices are very reasonable. I also love SNH masks because they've donated over 60,000 masks to healthcare institutions. They're an excellent company. Shipping is just five bucks and shipping is free on orders over one hundred and fifty dollars. You can get there by going to davidpackmancom slash mask. The link is in the podcast notes and you can save 20 percent on everything in their store when you use coupon code David. The David Pakman Show at davidpackman.com. Okay, let's hear from some folks via the David Pakman Show Discord, davidpackman.com slash Discord. We hope that the uh, Discord gods will look upon us favorably today and that we have uh, good connections and auspicious uh, conversations. Let's go to Javi from D.C. first. Javi from D.C. You're on the air. Oh, David, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. And um, um, my, my own voice is echoing back. So ideally you would be maybe listening in headphones or turning down your speakers. Yeah. Sorry, I was just in a, a Zoom class, actually. Let me try to fix that. Wow, we're interrupting class. That's wild. Okay, is that better? It is. Okay. Um, so I was wondering, um, do you think that there's the, uh, the Republicans are going to have their own version of Bill Clinton in a sense that Due to, I guess, branding issues, they're going to want to have a candidate that moves them to the left the same way that Bill Clinton further moved Democrats to the right. You know, like a Republican that says, you know what, Obamacare is the free market solution to health care. You know what, we're going to legalize drugs and try to center all those, you know, now it's kind of a centrist policy. But I think there's a market for like pro- progressive policies, but framed in the right direction. Do you think that that's something that's going to happen or something that's possible? Well, you know, I, I'm not so sure that I, I understand that by today's standards, Bill Clinton is no progressive. But I, I, I'd have to think more about whether in 1992, Bill Clinton moved the Democratic Party to the right. Is that is that what you're saying as part of your premise that in 92, Clinton was a rightward move for the Democratic Party? That's a, that's a while ago. That's true. Um, in in any would... case, I mean, with I think that there's more to explore there. But let me focus on your main question. I think the answer is it's it's too early to know. And it really comes okay. down to do Republicans learn anything from the Trump fiasco? How will we be able to tell? Well, we'll be able to tell when we look at like do Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boeber and Madison Cawthorn. Do they end up being one term wonders and immediately voted out in 2022? Or do they get second terms? That would be a signal about what the Republican Party thinks it needs at this point in time. Does Sarah Huckabee Sanders riding on being Trump's former press secretary win the gubernatorial Republican primary in Arkansas? Do Ivanka or Lara Trump or any of them run successfully for something? I think we don't yet know what the Republican Party will think it needs to do. Well, then let me let me entertain this. Do you think that there's 
Um, and I've seen this a little bit with, you know, like Joe Scarborough talking about Medicare for all. I've heard Kyle Kalinske talk about that um, and how he his rationale is that it actually is, uh, you know, a set of policies that maximizes freedom, maximizes individualism, maximizes entrepreneurship. And sure. So he centers the progressive policy within a sort of like right wing direction. You can see that with like marijuana, um, people that are pushing for legalizing drugs. Yep. Um, you know, it's, it is the more liberty oriented quote unquote position. I was wondering, do you think that there's the possibility that candidates that have, I guess, that viewpoint of, Hey, I'm not doing things just, I'm not doing things just because I guess like the donor class or like elites that are you know entwined with politicians want something. I'm doing these things because one, they're good for people and that's the whole question of, you know, how you craft a society. And then two, it actually fits within conservative theology of like, you know, I value yeah. markets, I value individuals, I value family and taking these ideas that are progressive and then maybe having more so like a free market approach to that. So, so this is an, this is not else. a new idea this is the idea of um, appealing to your typical political opponents by framing your positions in ways that appeal to their values and you and I aren't going to be able to figure out whether that is or isn't a good idea today. There's a lot of scholarship on you should like, for example, uh, the, the you're making a perfect, perfect case here. Uh, the liberty argument with something like cannabis, even if that's not the reason why the left supports legalization, we can appeal to the right by you by framing it as an issue that appeals to their values. The first question is whether that's effective. And there's a lot of debate about that. The second question is whether it, the, you know, the, the problem with it is that a lot of modern conservatism is not really motivated by liberty. They claim to be, but they really aren't. They're actually very authoritarian. And as George Lakoff writes, they subscribe to something called strict father morality, which is if you do something yeah, yeah. bad, your dad has to punish you for it even if you can justify it in some way. And so I, I would want to think more about that. I, I, I'm not so sure. Okay. But anyway, David, um, uh, I actually uh, heard about strict father. Uh, I forgot the third word, but like the strict father kind of like political theory or whatever through uh, hearing you on Joe Rogan. Um, so thank you for putting me on that. That was really interesting. Um, but I'm going to let you go. But I do want to thank you one last time. Because this time last year, I was in a government class with a teacher that didn't teach very much. And, you know, I was also voting for the first time. And your channel and other channels kind of helped, you know, help me understand issues and, uh, you Beautiful. know, discover different policies and some political philosophy. So thank you for that, David. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I hope to uh, to speak to you again. Uh, very well said. I like that. Let me go to Kelsey from Colorado. Kelsey from Colorado. Welcome. You are on the air. David, good to speak with you again. Likewise. Hey, uh, so I was thinking about this um, and I kind of want to get your opinion. I just watched your video on uh, conspiracy theorists and I thought it was fascinating. And um, while I don't, I, I, my personal kind of experience with it is, um, with a friend who was, um, conservative in 2016, but has then switched now to libertarian, Okay, but, uh, 
a conversation we had uh, March right before everything shut down um, was conspiracies um, linked to um, kind of the government with how funding works. Um, I know a lot of her stuff with states' rights um, with in terms of libertarianism went in there. And um, especially and then when the pandemic hit, it became a, well, we're getting microchips once this is, you know, we get a vaccine or, well, the government just forced to stay in and we have to be, you know, enclosed, but, you know, I'm going to go partying. Um, yeah, that sounds less libertarian for- than conspiratorial to me. Yeah, and that's what I'm getting from it. And so I guess my question is, what way do you kind of engage with somebody that is like, you know, they claim to be very libertarian. Like they go to conference with like Ron Paul and like, you know, say all that. But then they're spewing all these other conspiracy theories that don't necessarily correlate with each other. Well, the two things aren't necessary. As you're pointing out, these aren't necessarily related things. You, we have to deal with conspiracy theorists the way we know we are best able to deal with conspiracy theorists, which is ask them about the sources of their information, ask them how many people would have to be involved in keeping that quiet for it to work, ask them how they determine whether a news source is trustworthy, follow their conspiracy through to its logical conclusion, whether they happen to also claim to be libertarian or not. I, I'm not so sure that I even see it as relevant. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I just think it was um, I find it fascinating because she's she this friend has changed their uh, political affiliation, but has still kept some of the kind of wacky things that you would see on the right as what you're seeing now. So, yeah, I just found it find it very interesting. But uh, I just you know, the other thing to keep in that. mind yeah. is it, it, I'm not saying libertarians don't exist. They certainly do. But there's a lot of people who claim to be libertarians or to claim or claim to be libertarian or liberty minded conservatives who will very quickly become extraordinarily authoritarian when they see that the libertarian path leads to things they don't like. And so a lot of these libertarians aren't even really libertarians. And so I I think it's always important when someone has a libertarian awakening. Some people really do, but some people don't. They just found a label that they prefer while still being very authoritarian. <laughs> that that makes sense. Cool. Well, thanks, David. I really appreciate your time. All right. Thank you, Kelsey from Colorado. Great to speak with you again. Um, let's see. Why don't we go next to uh, why don't we go to Amugo from Florida? Hey, David, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Well, it was good talking to you again. I remember we talked during the uh, Georgia runoffs. And I, Indeed. Yeah. Um, I guess my is a question slash a rant. Like, I'm just listening to um, these Republicans and how they're talking about, oh, we can't impeach the president, a former president. Now we should move on this unity thing they keep talking. About. It's honestly driving me crazy because it's like he just saw what the president did. He incited an insurrection. Democrats are saying, hey, let's hold them accountable. And the Republicans are going, well, we need unity. You know, we don't, it's already divided as it is. And it's like, it, it just, it's blowing my mind how they're trying to this man, even though he's not in office and just. 
Yeah, it's Oof. a terrible argument. I, I mean, one I saw Rand Paul earlier this week say on TV, you, you can't impeach a president who's no longer in office. That That's not yeah. only untrue, but remember, Trump was impeached while he was in office. The impeachment is what happens in the House. What happens in the Senate is the trial and either an acquittal or or a conviction. Mm-hmm. So these are a combination of opportunists and propagandists and people who don't actually even have any interest in sticking to the principles they claim to hold very dear. And my approach is increasingly the Bernie approach. Bernie said over the weekend, listen, anything we can do via budget reconciliation without a single Republican, if we determine we should do it and it's good for the country, we're going to do it. Uh, we're not going to find Absolutely. 17 Republicans to convict Donald Trump. OK, well, then then that then they won't. But that'll be them on mm-hmm. record. And we're going to go through the trial. I, I just think we they're, they are so disingenuous with when they mm-hmm. want unity and when they don't and when obstruction yeah. is acceptable. Just get around them any way that you can. Yeah, like I. I like, I feel like with, like, the left and the Democrats, I feel like our issues are, you know, policy. Like, we're trying to say, hey, Democrats, push for $15 minimum wage, push for universal health care, push for efforts on climate change. I feel like the right is doing, you know, who's more sycophantic to Trump? Like, right. um, Kyle Kalinske said this bet. I don't know if he reported it or something, but he said that on the day Fox News called the election for Joe Biden, like, Pretty much the majority of the Fox News viewers just fled Fox News and went to Newsmax, One American News, their safe space. Yeah, it's not it's not the majority. It's not the majority. Fox has seen a downtick, but, you know, majority means over 50 percent. But but I think, you know, the proof is in the following. Look Mm -hmm. at the people that just got themselves elected most prominently riding on the Trump wave. Madison Cawthorn, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Mm -hmm. Boebert and those types. What what is the big policy that they care about? What are their big policy positions? It's about owning the libs and riding the Trump wave and saying we're not going to be communist and socialist. It's completely Mm -hmm. vapid. Um, one more thing before I let you go. Um, I don't. Do you know who Brian Cohen is by any chance? Did you say Brian Tyler Cohen? Yeah. Yes, I do. I do. Yeah, so him and Tommy Lahren on the issue is they did a debate before the, I think it was before or after the, I think it was after the election. Mm. And the the moderator asks, oh, if Democrats control the Senate, um, what's going to happen? Yes, Brian Tyler Cohen, this. And Brian Tyler Cohen said, oh, $50 minimum wage, um, access to health care, climate change. This said a bunch of things. I'm like, oh, that sounds really good. And then he goes to Tommy Lahren and goes, oh, if the Republicans control the Senate, what's, what's going to happen? And she just said, stop socialism. Stop. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are other Republicans who would have other answers, but that is that is the epitome of of what's going on right now politically. It's just unreal. Anyway, uh, thank you. Appreciate it. I kind of want to get that off my chest. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Amugo. Amugo from Florida. Let's take a quick break. If you're holding to talk to me, please don't hang up because we're going to go right back to the phones momentarily. The David Pakman Show at DavidPakman.com. One of our sponsors is a free mobile game called Word Forest, which I've been having a great time playing on my phone. There are not a lot of mobile games that I actually am into, but Word Forest is one I actually enjoy because I feel like it's helping me keep my mind sharp. We need that right now. It's a word game where you connect letters in any direction to form hidden word matches with over 2000 levels. You will never get bored of playing. It was really simple to learn how to play. 
because it starts out easy. But I've been loving how it gets more difficult as I progress. But I find that the whole experience is just relaxing. It doesn't have to be super fast paced. It's awesome for anyone who loves word games and has a good vocabulary or wants to improve it. Go ahead and put yourself to the test. It's free. Just go to the Apple or Google store and search for word forest. If you ever feel like you just don't have enough time to read all the books you want to read, you have to check out one of my favorite apps called Blinkist. Blinkist takes thousands of popular nonfiction books and distills each one down into an ebook or audiobook that you can get through in just 15 minutes where you're getting all the key takeaways from the book. Just imagine how you'll be able to expand your horizons and knowledge by being able to soak up all of the important insights from 10 different books in an afternoon. Obviously, it's perfect for exposing yourself to a new book you otherwise wouldn't have time for, or you can use it to revisit a book you've already read or use it to preview a book before you buy the full version and read it. I recently read A Brief History of Time, of course, by the great Stephen Hawking. This is a book that I have been aware of for so long and other things got in the way. And it was fantastic to check it out on Blinkist. Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have 27 different nonfiction categories and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month and you get access to the entire library. But you can try it totally free and get 25% off a subscription when you go to Blinkist.com slash Pacman. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Pacman. Welcome back to the David Pakman Show. All right, let's hear from a few more people via the David Pakman Show Discord server at davidpakman.com slash discord. Let's go to Keon from North Carolina. Keon, you're on the air. Hey, hey, David. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. Oh, man. So um, my question I want to ask you is... Um, I'm curious about like what do you think about um what are your foreign policy views and I'm gonna be more specific. Please. Um and with regards to how if you was president, how would you deal with North Korea? With North Korea? Yes. Well, first and first of all, I mean listen the, the that's a the it really depends on what's going on at the time. Notice that since the pandemic no one's hearing a peep out of North Korea. There was a little bit of a period where supposedly they had no cases. And of course, who believed that they might have had no testing, but they, right. they, they certainly had some cases as insular as they are. They still did. I, I, there's not one answer to how to deal with North Korea, because North Korea goes through these waves where they become very belligerent often when they need food aid and they threaten this and they threaten that. And then things get very quiet as famine kind of rolls in. So I, I think the things that would be important for dealing with North Korea in my mind would be you can't be naive the way Trump was into thinking that when Kim Jong Un or whoever tells you they're going to do A, B or C, that they're really going to do it. North Korea has been making the same promises to global leaders for decades now. They never do this stuff. They will slightly lower their belligerence when they need something. So 
The first thing is I would be thinking about North Korea independent of what they say when they're in desperate situations. And then as a general approach, I would probably be thinking of how to work with South Korea uh, on um, how what what possibilities are there to try to normalize circumstances to some degree and the degree to which North Korea wants it is is a real question mark. But I think the first step is I wouldn't be giving North Korea the publicity of the Singapore summit with the handshakes and all of this stuff. You know, former American presidents have understood that that's of huge propaganda value to them and they didn't do it, whereas Donald Trump fell for it and he did. And we really got nothing out of it. Yeah, I agree with um, I agree with you. It's just my my issue is one of the things that bothers me is they keep unveiling these missiles, and um, they are they are invading international sanctions by like trying to go into cryptocurrency and stealing financial information. And I mean, at this point, like my concern is for the South Korean people. The, the North just, Korean people. Do you mean, do. Hold on, hold on. You're concerned for the South Korean people or the North Korean people? Well, I'm concerned for both. Yeah. Okay. Actually. Yeah. It's just that ultimately, I don't think that. I mean, there are there there are going to negotiate in good faith. Ultimately, I think eventually, um, what's going to happen is like my. This is a hypothesis. Okay, I don't know if this is true. Right. My my concern is they're going to build up those weapons. And then they're gonna try to take over South Korea, and yeah. when we try to go and help them, they're gonna threaten us with, you know, nuclear. Um, with I, nuclear I think weapons. that their ability to do that 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 would take them a very long time, and without taking a position one way or the other, I don't imagine the U.S. or or South Korea will allow that to happen. So I I actually I'm not as concerned about that full scale scenario that, that you're talking about. But it's an important issue. So, um, but I don't know. I just I think that I um, mean, I mean, and then I also thought about uh, I was talking to a, a scholar like, you know, he's his um perspective on international relations is, is realism. And I said, well, why don't we just allow South Korea to develop nuclear weapons? So then that would be like a you know, a, a counterbalance to their nuclear weapons. Yeah, I just don't think that that's really a solution, particularly when the range of these weapons at this point is is quite a bit bigger than the than the Korean Peninsula. But let me think a little more about that. Keon from North Carolina, very much appreciate the call and great to hear from you. Let's go next to uh, Alex from South Carolina. You're on the air. Oh, hey, David, that me? Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, uh, so I'm from South Carolina, obviously, and um, I listen to a lot of polit- uh, political radio, and as you can imagine, it's mostly right-leaning. Yeah. And from what I've heard from Colin since the election, um, I don't know if you know who uh, Tom Rice is, but he's a senator that represents my district, or congressman, excuse me. And okay. I've seen uh, Collins from radio shows that are basically threatening to primary him because he voted for impeachment. So what I'm concerned of is in the next two to four years, are we just going to see a bunch of like radical Trump like uh, characters come from all these reliably safe Republican districts? And I'm afraid that the Republican Party is just going to get a lot more radical. I don't think it's clear that that's going to be the case. I think it's possible. I think it's possible. But that one direction is the one you describe, which is 
Green, Bobert and Cawthorn get reelected in 2022, along with a whole bunch of new sort of Trump QAnon cultist types. That's one direction. The other direction is if Donald Trump just keeps his mouth shut. I mean, we haven't heard from him essentially for the 10 days since he left office. Um, if he just keeps his mouth shut and more traditional Republicans regain influence in the Republican Party, then you may see the Trumpian members of Congress lose reelection in 2022 and no one else get into power. So I think your fear, you're right that it could happen. I don't think I'm ready to say that that's the direction things are going. We have to wait and see. Really hope you're right, because I'm terrified of where that party said it. Well, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not saying it won't be that way, but I'm just saying I don't I don't have enough information yet to say one way or the other. Unfortunately, it's just going to be a wait and see. Uh, I just want to say thank you for taking my call. And I've been really excited to see your growth on Twitch over the last year. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Very good. Uh, yes. Bit powerful, powerful growth is happening on uh, on Twitch for sure. Let's go to Magnus from Scotland. Magnus from Scotland, you're on the air. Magnus from Scotland, please unmute yourself so that we can talk. You're on the air. And last opportunity for Magnus from Scotland. You are on the air. All right, that's too bad. I always uh, am thrilled to hear from our Scottish callers. Why don't we go to Nick from Tennessee next? Nick, you're on the air. Nick from Tennessee, you're on the air. Hey, David, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Pleasure. My question is actually about the stock market. Okay. Um, it's something that I've taken interest in um, mainly after reading Matt Taibbi's journalistic work on the 2008 financial crisis and um, learning more through the documentary Capital in the 21st Century. And my question for you is, um, is it, am I overestimating the impact that the stock market and financial market has on our system? Or is it something that doesn't get talked about due to the sort of inaccessibility of it and how hard it is to enact change. Um, well, you might have to say a bit. No, I, I think um, I think many people accurately understand the impact of the financial system, the stock market being a piece of that on our political system. Um, you, you, you know, maybe you could be more specific in terms of the ways you think are not appreciated enough. But I think anybody who's paying attention to the political space in a serious way understands that the financial system is inextricably linked to the political system, both in terms of how the financial system funds the political system, uh, but also how it uh, has created sort of this revolving door of regulatory capture where you have the regulators and the industry leaders and the elected officials all together and often going from one role to the next. Is there a specific way you think it's underappreciated? I it's tough because I'm just learning about it. So I'm, I'm still sort of finding the, the excuse me, the vocabulary to um, to express, you know, my concern with it. But yeah, in learning just the history of um, how the stock market essentially took over the economy um, as soon as it was introduced or created in, 
you know, around the time just after industrialization in America. Um, and the fact that it has sort of remained this very powerful presence, but doesn't seem to ever enter the, uh, the political arena of discussion, at least on, on the, the level of public discourse, which we hear from most media sources. Yeah, I think I think to some degree you're right. I mean, I do think that there's a superficial analysis of if the stock market's up, it signals a good economy. And if it's down, it signals a bad economy. And of course, the stock market isn't the economy and stocks are disproportionately held by a relatively small percentage of people, certainly the vast, vast majority of the shares. Uh, but I, I think I would agree with you that there, there's not a deeper analysis of the connection between the stock market and and the political system that that maybe would be useful. But I do think most people are at least generally aware of the role of the stock market and, and how publicly traded companies, generally speaking, operate. That's fair. And um, like I said, I'm, I'm still learning and, and, and new to this world, but it's just something that has really intrigued me lately. Um, and just one final question for you. And I, I've learned through watching your content that you participate in the stock market. Um, what is your, I guess, stance on it as a participant um, from our, you know, the ground level of being just a, a consumer who is also involved in stocks and investing? Yeah. So this isn't financial advice, advice, but as I've said before, uh, you know, my my full time thing is not picking stocks and making investments. And even the people who do that full time often underperform the market averages. So I'm not arrogant enough to think I'm particularly good at picking stocks. So my approach is dollar cost averaging, regularly buying more and more shares of low cost index funds, which you can get for, you know, sometimes five basis points, meaning point oh five percent fees. Nope not paying any managers one, one and a half percent fees for for uh, managing a hedge fund. Just go with the lowest price index funds. And then within my portfolio, maybe three to five percent of my money is in individual stocks that I have some knowledge of. So, for example, people know I bought Tesla stock six years ago and I have a few other individual stocks. But my approach as a participant is I'm busy hosting my show, running a business. I devote very little time to picking stocks and I'm just buying the broader uh, index funds and paying as little as possible in fees. Cool. Uh, thanks a lot for taking my call. I really enjoy your show and I look forward to, to more. All right. My pleasure. Nick from Tennessee. Great to hear from you. Uh, why don't we check in with. Uh, oh, I don't know. Maybe uh, David from uh, the United Kingdom. David from London. You're on the air. Hi, can you hear me? I can. Hey, um, it's so great to talk to you. I've been following you for about a year now. Pleasure. Um, I had a really dying question during the uh, election, which well, I guess it was more of a difference between how the UK run their elections and the Americans. Yes. And I found it so bizarre the way uh, results came out piecemeal, like bit by bit, because in the UK, we kind of announce the results when everything's been counted. Right. And uh, it just struck me as so bizarre that Trump kept talking about massive dumps and <laughs> went to bed and he was up and then he was down. <laughs> and I really didn't understand why the US system was like that. And I just, yeah, it was just a dying question. I was uh, speaking with one of my American friends about 
thing and he didn't understand why either. And it yeah, was I mean, I don't I don't uh, have an answer as to why uh, other than to say that it's been this way for a long time. I, I'm I don't know if you could even restrict. I mean, listen, you know, as we have 50 states and the states collect results from the individual counties and, and municipalities. Um, I just don't know if you could even could you even tell everybody do not release any information until I, I, I just don't know. It, it is the it is sort of strange. Um, it I just is feel like it's, uh, yeah. it would be it would have it would have stopped this whole kind of uh, angle of, you know, Fox News saying, oh, and 11 p.m. And, you know, it really wouldn't. And here's why it wouldn't it. prevent it. Here's yeah. the problem, David. Imagine that there's a there's a different system where the numbers are announced when they are final, when it's really close, like it was in Georgia. If they yeah. said, hey, we have it's been eight days. We now have the results. Then Trump and Fox News and others would just say eight days. That's really suspicious. I'm sure they spent that time manipulating the numbers. So it actually wouldn't right. solve the problem. I guess you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Essentially, yes. yes. Uh, they're always going to have some kind of opinion against why it's not correct. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say again, like, been following you for about a year, and I, I honestly, I come home after work. Well, I mean, I'm mainly working from home, but I come back, and I think around eight, nine p.m., your show kicks in. I actually start your live stream, have it in the background tab when the music kicks in, although lately the music hasn't kicked in that much, which I've been a bit disappointed. <laughs> We're doing more but live stream music lately. We've got some new, good new, good new tracks. We've been, we've yeah, been and that's my cue. You know, I could be watching something else or eating dinner with my girlfriend and I'm right. like, right, I'm sorry. I have to stop. You know, <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. What, uh, what part of London are you in generally? So I live in Catford, Catford? Uh, which is a part of Catford. Yeah. Which is a, um, Southeast London. South I work East. in I work in Peckham, which you you may or may not know. Uh, South London again. So this is all this is all south of the river, right? I'm south of the river. Yes, understood. Yeah. I did go to a pub in a working uh, uh, sort of a a blue. I, I don't know what the right term is. Working class, blue collar. I, I don't want to say the wrong word. Area south of the river with my cousin when I was in London and it was quite an experience. It was sort of like a soccer pub, I guess I would say. Okay. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you're, if you're next in London, I don't know if we can even travel between the U S and the UK right now, I guess yeah. we can't, but if you're ever in London and wanted to do a talk or anything like that, I would definitely be one to come and watch you give a lecture or something like that. And I'm trying to spread the word to my uh, colleagues and friends around about you and how you, uh, do these live streams and yeah, I just think it's really great. My Beautiful. friend actually said um, he he'd never seen someone I live tweet and live stream before as a kind of way to like put out content. He found the whole thing kind of fascinating, and I've kind of got him into watching you now. And I send all the links out to my friends when when you come on. It's really great. So thank well, you thank you. I I appreciate the support from across the pond. All right. Thank you very much. There is David from London, England. That is all the time I have today for calls via Discord. I'm sorry I wasn't able to get to everybody, but we will take calls again. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com.
This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. One of the things I make a priority on the show is not to perpetuate stigma for things that don't deserve it. We've talked about mental health. We've talked about many things where we should all just be respectful adults, period, and we would be better off. And Blue Chew can increase performance and give you that extra confidence you may be looking for. Bluechew.com, blue like the color blue, is the first chewable with the same FDA approved ingredient as in Viagra and Cialis. It can be taken day or night, even on a full stomach, since it's chewable. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed doctors. You don't have to go to a doctor's office. You don't have to wait in line at a pharmacy. It ships right to your door in a discreet package. They're made in the USA. And since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, it's cheaper than a pharmacy. And best of all, no more awkwardness. We've got a special deal for our viewers and listeners. Go to bluechew.com. Get your first shipment free when you use our promo code Pacman. That's P A K M A N. Pay just $5 shipping. That's B L U E chew.com. Promo code Pacman to try it totally free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the David Pacman Show. The David Pacman Show at DavidPacman.com. Okay, let's get into audience questions for the week as we see more vaccines roll out, surpassing 1.1 and even 1.2 million vaccines per day over the last few days, which is fantastic to see, although there's much more acceleration that still needs to be done. I'm getting more and more questions like how long will mask wearing continue? The answer to this question is so complicated because, first of all, many people never started wearing masks. There, there are people who still just aren't wearing masks. Mask enforcement varies drastically in different states within the US and in different countries. But I think the best way to, to get into this topic is to understand two things. Number one, how long mask wearing continues will in great part depend on how well different countries, regions or states are handling the virus. The mask wearing will be necessitated by the virus continuing to spread and, and uh, kill people. So the places that best and most quickly deal with the virus will most quickly be able to get away from mask wearing. Now, that being said, the more and to be clear, none of this I am. I don't pretend to be an expert on this. I have just been gathering the opinions of experts on mask wearing. The cultural and medical ends of the pandemic are likely not to coincide. The medical end would be herd immunity has been reached and the R naught of this virus has come down to some very low level. And uh, that is likely to happen after the numbers are low enough that in particular um, uh, people who are not at huge risk who have been vaccinated are ready to say, I am going back to life sort of as normal. Um, the other thing that's important now when that will be, if vaccination continues, I think I'm not saying this is right. But you are going to see dramatically decreased mask usage probably by summer in a lot of areas for folks who are at risk uh, and who are going to remain more careful for a longer period of time or indefinitely. The masking in large crowded areas may not stop for years. And that's part of what we were talking about last week with Nicholas Christakis about 
there's a psychological and societal impact here where during flu season, there was a risk to going out without a mask for older folks and folks with compromised immune systems. It was always there, but it was not talked about in the terms it's talked about now with coronavirus. Even after coronavirus is, quote, dealt with, you may have folks in those categories who simply during flu season are wearing a mask anyway because they recognize that the level of risk that was always there is no longer comfortable without a mask. That remains to be seen. I do think it's important to mention that mask wearing, first of all, globally, uh, the United States is somewhat unique in that there has been such a large political movement that considers wearing a piece of cloth over your face when around other people, some kind of massive imposition on liberty and freedom. Um, the Trump administration definitely uh, resisted mask wearing in order to downplay the pandemic. It was a pretty unnatural argument to sustain when you saw how other countries were handling it. And many other countries were sort of confused. What, why, why are there so many Americans who think just putting a piece of cloth over your face uh, is, is something you should resist? It just reduces the chance of spread. We don't know exactly by how much we can debate and study exactly how much it reduces it. But if it reduces it at, at all, then it seems like a good idea. It was not the political issue that it became in the United States elsewhere. Um, but regardless, it's still quite popular in the United States. Look at early numbers, early polling about Joe Biden's uh, actions on coronavirus. About 80 percent of the country agrees with Joe Biden's mask mandate, which, remember, it's it's only a mandate for federal uh, buildings and federal workers and on uh, interstate transportation like trains and planes within states and at normal places of employment and out in downtowns. It's still up to governors to enact and enforce. And um, it, it's more of more of a mask plea than it is a mask mandate, but it still has 80 percent support. Um, so I think that we are going to see widespread mask usage continue, certainly through the first half of 2021, whether it should or not. If vaccination continues and cases go down and deaths go down, you will see reduced masking, particularly in warmer areas by the summer. I, I think there's almost no doubt that you are going to see it. I'm not advocating for it. I'm just saying that's likely to be the case. And of course, we, we are going to see that the economy is very closely paid attention to. If you see uh, more in person things happening, um, although at first it will likely all be as long as people are wearing masks. I think that relatively quickly you will see people drop the masks for better or worse. I'm not advocating for it, but that's sort of the trajectory that I'm anticipating. Next question today is, David, how do you think that these conspiracy theorists and reactionary Republicans in Congress are going to impact the next couple of years? Yeah, this is a really good question. I, I actually have a sort of backwards uh, reverse approach to this, which is uh, if we see. I'm guessing that this viewer is referring to people like Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, a Congressman Madison Cawthorn, who we saw earlier this week. Just he doesn't know anything. He can't answer simple questions. I believe that whether they get reelected is going to signal to us the legacy, the staying power of Trumpism. And what I mean by that is Boebert, Greene, Cawthorn and some of these others, they rose to the House of Representatives in November, riding on the wind, uh, propelled by the same sails that defended Trumpism, the Trumpian cult. 
and they were running in the right districts where these sort of QAnon types like Marjorie Taylor Greene and the wild pro gun folks like Boebert and Cawthorn, they were able to win because of the districts in which they ran and sort of lifted uh, by the boat of Trumpism with Trump gone now. And a question we haven't heard from Trump since he left office. We'll see if we hear from him during the next two years, whether these people get reelected in November of 2022 will signal whether Trumpism died with Trump and became relegated to basically Internet conspiracy theories or whether it will have the staying power to maintain a sort of legislative power and a presence in the House of Representatives. Uh, if you're not familiar with some of these people, Marjorie Taylor Greene, for example, she represents Georgia's 14th district. She has uh, been a QAnon supporter. She talked about some shooting being a false flag. I don't remember if it was Parkland or Sandy Hook. Uh, this is a really insane person who on January 21st drafted articles of impeachment against Joe Biden. Uh, some of these folks are merely delusional. Some of these folks are hungry for power and they see playing these Trumpian characters as the way to get that power. Some of them plan to use it to grift their way to something beyond uh, being members of the House. Uh, but this is going to be the big signal as to whether the Republican Party really eats itself or whether it says, OK, yeah, listen, these people were an aberration. They won because of Trump, but we're going to get them out in 2022. And I don't know the answer to that. I have no advice for the Republican Party. What I do think is clear is if you lost, if in a two year period between 2018 and 2020, you lose the House of Representatives, you lose the Senate and you lose the White House with a president who makes himself a one term president, you would think you would say it's time to learn something from this. There's many things Democrats should learn as well. I'm not saying Democrats are exempt from learning from what happened. But if Republicans learn from this, then they will figure out how to get these people out and to go back in the direction of, you know, people like Mitt Romney. Uh, but but the truth is, given the popularity of Ted Cruz, for example, and Louis Gohmert and Matt Gates, even before these whack jobs were elected in November, it's not clear that there's a big appetite for the Republican Party to do that. So we'll see what happens. But I think the legacy uh, of the Republican Party will be in how it deals with. And this applies to both voters and the party apparatus itself. How do they deal with these wacky people that were elected in November? Marjorie Taylor Greene up there, Lauren Boebert, Madison Cawthorn. I think there are others. Those are the three names that come to mind right away. Hey, David, what do you think the legacy of Donald Trump will be? These questions are tough because it really you need time to pass to be able to say. But if the George W. Bush presidency is any indication, sometimes you can tell pretty quickly. What do I mean by that? When George W. Bush left office, my belief was his legacy would be um, squandering the goodwill that came after 9-11 by invading the wrong country, Iraq, in response to the 9-11 attacks and then dramatically escalating domestic surveillance and privacy uh, incursions with the Patriot Act, et cetera. That's what if you said on Obama's day one, what is George W. Bush's legacy going to be? I would have said that it was that. And that is essentially what George W. Bush's legacy has been. So sometimes you can tell right away. If you ask me today, what will Trump's legacy be? I think it will be Trump as the ultimate buffoon who mishandled covid and ruined relationships around the world. Even the ruined relationships around the world may fade 
as Joe Biden restores those relationships. But really, the covid failure inciting a riot, being impeached twice and being sort of a buffoon strike me as what are most likely to be Donald Trump's uh, legacies. When, when people talk about a president, the first thing you often go to is what were the big failures with George W. Bush? It was you invaded the wrong country after 9-11. That sticks. That's legislation aside. Tax cuts. OK, yeah, Bush did a little bit of tax cutting and then taxes went up a little under Obama and down a little bit under Donald Trump. I don't think that's going to be the stuff of legacies. Trump would like the wall to be his legacy. He just didn't build it. Claiming to have built it doesn't make you doesn't make it a legacy if you didn't actually do it, unless you can trick a lot of people. When you think about what is Trump's big failure, my mind goes to his complete and total failure of handling and of leadership around coronavirus, the capital attack, because it's not even a failure. It's actually a misdeed. He incited the riots at the Capitol. That will be there. And then I do think from a demeanor standpoint, being this buffoon so easily triggered the thinnest skinned president we've maybe ever had who you know, was enamored with authoritarians and ruined relationships with our historical allies. And then in pop culture, it seems that he will be sort of seen as a Nixon type for a little while, except Trump impeached twice rather than Nixon, who resigned. He'll be sort of the butt of jokes and the 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 go to the meme of the delusional, dumb, corrupt president. But over time, we will see those are my instincts. And uh, he will be seen as a one term president who accomplished nothing in terms of solid legislation um, and who who did some really horrible things. Now, what you know, what about Barack Obama? What is it? What is Barack Obama's legacy? I'm curious to hear from you. For, for me, Obama's legacy is Obamacare president during the legalization of gay marriage and unfortunately scaling up drone warfare. That's what I think about when I think about Barack Obama. Um, and unfortunately, when you do three bullet points, you miss a lot. I mean, you what the intangible value of Barack Obama making the U.S. more respected around the world than it had been in a long time compared to Donald Trump making the U.S. tragically not respected around the world. That's more of an intangible that's hard to put on a list. But I do think that under Barack Obama, that that certainly was uh, one of the important things. But does that show up on a bullet pointed list? No, it's Obamacare at the top drone warfare. Tell me what else? What else would be under Obama's legacy? Those are my thoughts right now. Let me know uh, your answer to the primary question, which is what will the legacy be of Donald Trump? We have a fantastic bonus show for you today. Get instant access by becoming a member at joinpacman.com. If you want, you can use the coupon code better 21 to save a huge amount. I won't even tell you how much better 21 is the coupon code. We'll see you on the bonus show.